Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Working for a Living, where Progressives for Change present Opinions That Matter. Tonight, we are joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and David Fillion, and I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. We certainly hope that everyone had a safe weekend and week last week and weekend this uh, this weekend so far, and we certainly appreciate uh, your coming and listening this evening on such a wonderful day. It's just absolutely gorgeous here in the Midwest uh, all around, so we certainly appreciate you uh, uh, coming in to listen this evening or catch us by podcast through the week. We really appreciate uh, their uh, uh, Announcements. Yeah, we have somebody driving by the little ice cream truck here, so if you heard that or not. Um, uh, the announcements uh, that we have this evening, uh, there's a few of them. The Honeywell workers remain locked out by plant management, uh, and that's uh, Local Union 9 and Local Union 1508 in Green Island, uh, New York, and, uh, of course, South Bend, Indiana, that we've been talking about some time. Uh, the second announcement, Long Island University at Brooklyn uh, was in a historic lockout, and that's been resolved. They're due to return to work on Tuesday, September 20th. Um, we may have more information on this type of uh, management's uh, uh, wayward efforts. Uh, maybe next week we should have some more information on that. We're researching this. Uh, so we'll see. This is an interesting concept that seems to get, be getting legs, and we'd like to stop that. Uh, third announcement is uh, remember to participate in the Working for a Living write-in campaign to the United States Senate to oppose the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Instructions for doing so are on the Working for a Living Facebook page. Uh, the fourth announcement is that uh, Working for a Living continues to sp- support Unifor as they have now selected General Motors as their strike target. Uh, we noted, we would note that uh, the uh, President, Dennis Williams of RUAW, has given uh, his support as well, although that's limited in large measure uh, due to the contract that he had negotiated, not the least of which is that uh, uh, the, uh, in the Ford contract especially, uh, they have uh, language in there, as we talked about last week, that says that they're to acknowledge the concept of doing more work for the same wages. So it's rather difficult to support our brothers and sisters in Canada with that uh, sort of information there. Um, uh, the uh, Another announcement that uh, we had, I didn't write this in for those of us on the team here. Um, I just wrote this one in. Steve Aristol, uh, by the, uh, uh, he's the CEO of the company uh, Power Paddleboards. Pretty well known in that arena. He's come out and written a book uh, on the five-hour workday. And you know, when we saw that, we thought that was just amazing. And uh, that ought to be brought to the auto industry. Think of the number of people that could be hired if they had a five-hour workday and they still paid us the same. 
that would be rather nice. They could have three five-hour shifts or four five-hour shifts in a day uh, with a little hour break between if they needed it. So it's uh, uh, more people working is in the best interest of this country, and we see a higher velocity of money. Uh, on another note, last announcement here, uh, just came out in the last hour or so. It appears as though the United States of America Joint Chiefs of Staff has resigned. He is the first one to ever resign from that position. They either retire from it or get reassigned, which is rare. But uh, he's the first one to resign, and he resigned over the issue of uh, and you're hearing it here first. It's not even hit much of the news yet, so to our knowledge. Um, uh, he resigned over the issue of women in combat, putting uh, United States uh, soldiers that happen to be women in combat. He's resigned over that. Um, we all know that other countries do this routinely, in particular Israel. Uh, so... Um, I guess there's more to follow on that, but that's a big announcement for this country to have our Joint Chiefs of Staff resign. So um, just, just be aware of that. <laughs> Going on to the emails, we had uh, one email. Uh, this is, I'm very sad that Jeff was not on the show last week. I sure hope to hear him again this week. That's from Diane in Texas. And Diane's certainly watching Jeff, I'll tell you. <laughs> so it's nice that but Jeff's got a little fan out there, probably more than one, uh, that follow him uh, pretty pretty regularly. So uh, with that said, uh, I, got, I should say also that we have a special guest coming on in a couple of minutes uh, that you're going to really enjoy. Uh, I've been working on getting him on the show for several weeks uh, and uh, uh, due to uh, legal issues that he's been involved in. He's been too busy to, to get in here and talk to us, but some of those haven't been resolved, but he's got a little bit of a respite in between them, so he's going to join us here in a few minutes. Uh, so we look forward to that. Uh, we'll introduce him when we see him on, on the, uh, the call switchboard here. So, um, Having said that, let me bring on uh, David Fillion. I think you were first in the queue. Uh, come on, David. How are you doing tonight? How are you doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, how about that weather, man? I tell you, it's just just amazing uh, weather out there this evening. Uh, been on that, been that way all day, and pretty much well, we had some rain Saturday morning, but been nice here in the in the Midwest for those that are other places that might not be having some some good weather. Other than a bit of rain Saturday morning, it's been you know Friday, uh, Saturday afternoon, and today it's just been gorgeous around here. Uh, you know, is that you're, you're seeing the same thing over there where you live, right? Oh yeah, yeah, beautiful day. I spent most of my day watching football, though. <laughs> well, they, you know, our, our favorite team here in Michigan is the Lions, and they, they lost by a point in the last two minutes. Typical of our our, our team, but we we still love them around here in Michigan. Let me bring uh, Jeff Brown on. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this evening? Hello, Jeff. Hello. I can't quite hear you, brother. Something wrong with your phone. 
Yeah, he's I'm almost sure there, but not quite. Yeah, I think he's going to call back. I think he has some different technical difficulties with his phone. So we'll we'll uh, wait for him to call back in. Uh, and uh, uh, I think you, I talked to you a little bit about this guest that we have coming on, David. You're a little familiar with that issue without getting too much into it. Uh, you, are you kind of excited about having him come on? Oh, yes. Um, uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, I participated in um, the Recall Snyder effort, and uh, we also the uh, EFM manager effort. So, yeah, I look forward to um, to hearing this, this gentleman's um, um, talk on the show tonight. Um, very of course, much. there's a new a new peti- petition drive out there that he's been championing, and uh, we'll we'll see where where that goes. I see Jeff's back here, so let me try and bring Jeff back and see if his phone's working a little better this time. Hi, Jeff, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Now we hear you now. Yeah, okay. sounds good there, brother. So, all right, I was just talking. Uh, we should have a guest come in here in a few minutes, a couple minutes. Uh, and uh, uh, just telling David uh, a little bit, you know, about it. He was been told about it, so it's uh, sort of an exciting uh, person to have. Uh, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know uh, that you're completely up. We talked about it on the call a little bit. Completely up to speed on it, but uh, he he uh, he ran for Congress a couple terms or one term ago, uh, and he's got this petition drive. Uh, and it's been snubbed. They got 360,000 petition signatures that are verified, and that should be enough to get something on the ballot this fall. And it's been snubbed. It probably won't hit the ballot this fall, but uh, this is pretty important stuff. You're gonna just top of the top of your uh, uh, shoulder sort of comments on that, Jeff? No, it's. A- Quite a few uh, signatures. Uh, a little disappointing. It's not going to take place this fall, but we will support him as much as we can. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Probably not going to make the ballot this fall, but uh, it, you know he'll he'll update us fully on that. I just I think you know I'm really excited about this. It's a personal friend. I know him quite well. Uh, we talk regularly about things, political and non-political. Uh, you know, uh, on from time to time, on a regular, well, I should say, pretty regular basis. And uh, uh, you know, I always value his input, and I imagine he mine. So it's uh, nice to finally corner him, get him on the show. We should see him on here pretty soon. Uh, that is, if he uh, didn't get otherwise sidetracked or get the wrong digit on the, uh, the the phone number to call in. So we'll we'll see. Uh, shouldn't be an issue here. We should have him on here in a couple minutes. Uh, having said that, let's uh, then, as uh, long as we're waiting on him, we'll uh, we'll move forward with the rest of our agenda because uh, we thought it might be installed until he'd come on about this time. Uh, but let's just move forward. I uh, think, uh, uh, Jeff, you have something to tell us, uh, educate the listeners about on the uh, uh, drive that's going on in your plant, and also the uh, Article 41, Section 3 uh, in the uh, UAW. Would you like to take take over on that one? 
Yeah, sure will. Um, first, I want to say thank you to Diane for all her thoughts. Um, thank you, sister. Um, my plant posted um, notice that there will be voter registration inside the plant, I believe, sometime this week. Not quite positive as what the date is. Um, I know 25, 26 years ago, um, I became a voter registrar and registered a lot of the people in my plant to vote. Um, we were all trained how to do it. And we did so. But when you join any type of organization, whether it be Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, um, bowling leagues, um, you name it, you got to pay dues. You know, there are some things you have to do to still remain a member of that. Some of it's your, your choice, but some of it is mandatory depending on what group you join. The UAW is along those same lines. Under Article 41, Section 3 of the UAW Constitution talks about duties of local union members. Section 3, not many people know about this because they don't read the Constitution, but we're going to read it out here for you right now. It shall be the duty of each member to participate in all local, state, and federal elections through registration and balloting. Um, I know many of us do go out and vote. doesn't matter which party. Um, we're not going to tell anybody how to vote as long as they do. And we'd like to see some of our brothers and sisters who don't vote to start doing it. Um, I understand a lot of people think our system is rigged, and it probably is. But it's part of our duty as a member of the UAW to vote in elections, uh, be in registration, and a few of us, including you know, our co-host um, David and, and Leroy, we, all three of us have participated in several campaigns in our, during our lifetime. And I think the members should really start paying attention to the issues, to the candidates, um, and vote and vote for their their choice of who's the better candidate or the issue. But um, it is a requirement. Nobody's going to force you to do it. But we would like to see all of our membership to partake in, in the elections. So that's funny. Leroy, um, very clear, short, and there's really no gray area in it. So, um, that's all I can say right now. Does anybody have anything else to say okay. about this? Well, let me just say something real quick, and then I'm going to go and uh, make sure we're callers here, I think. I'll double-check that. But uh, let me just say that uh, it's important to vote. It, you know, we're not telling you who to vote for, uh, but it's your obligation to register and to vote as a member of the UAW under the Constitution. So just be aware of that. And uh, uh, David, do you have anything to add to Jeff's report? 
I'll be right back, guys. Um, when you uh, register these folks, do you have to turn our registrations in on the same day to the Secretary of State? We didn't 26 years ago. Um, but all that law has changed now. And I don't know what can do it now. The, all you have to do now is go to Secretary of State or your city city hall and register. You can do it either place. Very quick, painless, and um, just want to encourage everybody to participate in the voting process. So, you just yeah, okay. very important. Well, well, yeah. Well, thank you for that report, Jeff and David, for your input. Uh, I hope that's. Uh, uh, something that all of the members of the UAW and every labor person and non-labor person across the country take heed to. Uh, so with that, uh, let me uh, 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 introduce our guests this year, as we talked about. We're pretty excited about having them on the show this evening, as we mentioned earlier. Um, this gentleman is an attorney, uh, uh, born and raised in the, the Lansing area. We won't get into exactly where. Uh, he ran for Congress two years ago. Uh, he uh, has been for some time a, an attorney that uh, truly has uh, morals and uh, upholds the highest standard of the benefit of the people in uh, this area, this state, and this country. Uh, he has been the champion of the marijuana, medical marijuana, and now everyday marijuana program. Uh, they have a petition that he has been uh, uh, shepherding, lead, leading the way with this, and he is uh, someone that has uh, taken the initiative to do all of that. The petition has run into some problems. Uh, the petition uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's 360,000 verified signatures, uh, and the gentleman has uh, been uh, thwarted by the government here in Michigan for whatever reason, and he's coming on to tell us about that and all the work that he's been doing and uh, maybe even a little more before it's all said and done. Please let me uh, welcome Jeffrey Hank, attorney at law from the Lansing area. Jeff, welcome, please. Hey, thanks, Leroy. Thanks, everybody. Good to be on. Thanks for, having, thanks for uh, uh, coming on the show this evening. Uh, we've, as I said, we were just talking a little bit about you and this, this whole initiative about the, the uh, medical marijuana ballot pro proposal, but it's actually bigger than the ballot proposal for just medical marijuana, is it not, Jeff? You want to tell us about this situation that's going on in the state of Michigan? Absolutely. And, you know, I know your listeners, uh, Leroy, are going to be real real in tune with what's going on overall in politics. So this fits into a much bigger picture and some of the problems that we're facing. And our ability to address these problems is uh, one of our most uh, critical tools and methods to, to actually make progress. And that's being undermined by uh, what I refer to as the establishment. In Michigan, it's primarily uh, Republican uh, regime uh, doing this, but uh, this is really about our uh, our rights as 
as the people to initiate legislation under Michigan's Constitution. We are one of 24 states that can initiate legislation. It's a right we've had uh, for constitutional amendments going back to 1908, uh, the original progressive movement across the United States. And it serves as a check and balance by the people on legislative excess or corruption. Uh, it is a rarely used tool, meant to be rarely used, meant to be difficult. And for those times when the political will of the people isn't being followed by the establishment, because it's it's uh, it's a rare thing. Again, not not used that often, but meant to be there for a check when the system otherwise fails. <clears throat> and in Michigan, since the 1963 Constitution, you had about three years, seven months to actually circulate a petition in Michigan. There's a huge misconception, uh, a common misunderstanding. Uh, that you only had 180 days to circulate a petition in Michigan. That's not the case. And there's a, there's a history behind this that I'll, I'm going to go through very fast um, just to summarize. So uh, in okay. 1973, a woman, woman was very close to enacting the petition to limit legislator pay. At that time, the state of Michigan enacted MCL 168.472A, which says that a signature that's more than 180 days old is presumed invalid, but you can rebut that presumption. <clears throat> and the way to do that, that's a legal term of art, is you present credible evidence that the signature is that of a registered Michigan voter. And that's not a duplicate or some for some other reason defective. Now, in 1986, uh, from 1974 to 1986, uh, this was not enforced by the state of Michigan because Attorney General Frank Kelly said it was unconstitutional because it placed a, a limit, a legislative interference on the limit of the people's right which is a constitutional right equal, if not maybe even superior, to the right of the legislature to enact legislation because Michigan, like most places in theory, uh, all political power derives from the people. This was a right given to the people by themselves, and the legislature couldn't thereby infringe upon it. So in 1986, two more initiatives came along, <clears throat> one to allow uh, Michigan citizens to vote on utility rate increases, and another by L. Brooks Patterson, Oakland County Executive trying to place a death penalty amendment on the ballot. <clears throat> Both of those faced some considerable opposition, and Consumers Power in 1986 sued to have the state enforce a rebuttable presumption for the first time since 1973. They won that case, and the state began to enforce this. Um, and in 86, at the same time, the Board of State Canvassers enacted a policy on how you rebut the presumption, which brings us to today. So in 86, they said that you had to go around to all Michigan's 1,500 local clerks and have them validate the signature that's more than 180 days old, or you had to have the signer sign an affidavit saying they were registered to vote. A tremendous burden. No one's ever actually done it. In about 1997, 1998, the state enacted some new laws and created the Qualified Voter File, which for the first time, Michigan had a centralized election database to manage its elections. This, of course, made everything more efficient, uh, eliminated some fraud, helpful record-keeping, all those things you would expect with computer technology uh, that you can do. It also allowed for the state, it actually mandated that the state use the qualified voter file to canvas petitions. Well, apparently no one had really realized that that was the law in 20 years until we came along with the MI Legalized Petition, which was a petition to legalize marijuana for adults, provide for the farm and industrial hemp, Protect medical marijuana, it provided a tax, 40% uh, of the proceeds from that tax on adult use marijuana 
would go to the Department of Transportation to fund infrastructure. Another 40% would go to the school aid fund to fund education. Another 20% would go back to local governments that license these uh, new businesses in their communities as, a, as an incentive uh, to create jobs, which we projected about 50,000 jobs will be created one way or another as a result of this. So uh, besides the hundreds of millions of dollars that we were raised in tax revenue, hundreds of millions of dollars would also have been uh, realized in cost savings by the state and we would eliminate the arrests of about 20,000 adults in Michigan every year for simple use or possession of marijuana. So we're talking about some pretty fairly substantial consequences of our particular initiatives. And what we did is we said to the Bureau of Elections, we will prove uh, these people are registered to vote. How do you want us to do it? And they wanted us to do it through this clerk method. And we said, well, the law says you have to use the qualified voter file because that's what they use for signatures that are less than 180 days old. It is also, of course, the most superior way to actually check someone's voter registration. So the state knew this policy was pretty much impossible to comply with, but we said, fine, we'll jump through the hoops. We're going to get the signatures. We're going to put this before voters. Well, another campaign decided to do the same thing, the anti-fracking campaign. And all of a sudden, a tremendous opposition and political influence was exerted by the Michigan Chamber of Commerce uh, the oil and gas industries in Michigan, their their affiliates, their lobbyists, uh, to block any use of the Bureau of Elections to use the qualified voter file to check signatures on petitions because they were primarily, I believe, concerned about the anti-fracking campaign getting on the ballot and, and affecting the energy industry. So, long story short, uh, we collected enough signatures to place this initiative on the ballot as we tried to have the clerks validate the signatures, which we already knew were valid because we had hired a political consulting company to check them all against the public version of the state's own qualified voter file. So we submitted this proof uh, using the state's own database when we filed our petitions. However, they refused to count them. And at the same time that the uh, we, we started approaching these clerks saying, will you help us validate these? Here's how do you want the data? How do you want the information? How can we make this an efficient process? because we're talking about validating upwards of 200,000 people with 1,500 local clerks. Think of the logistics of that. Well, the clerks started telling us they wouldn't do it, they don't have to do it, there's no legal duty to do it, and the state of Michigan agreed and told them they don't have to do it. However, when we turned our signatures in, knowing that we had no way because the clerks would not uh, participate in this validation process, uh, the Board of Canvassers refused to count our, our signatures, despite us also using proof that uh, of its own database that there's enough signatures. So to wrap up where we went from there, this was kept off the ballot. Uh, we filed suit in the Court of Claims of Michigan. After two months, the Court of Claims issued an opinion. We never had an actual hearing in person despite submitting over 354,000 signatures. Um, we needed 252,000 roughly to qualify. And uh, Court of Claims never even gave us a hearing. We immediately appealed that ruling to the Michigan Court of Appeals and the Michigan Supreme Court, both of which denied a hearing and didn't issue a reasoned opinion, but uh, by denying to hear the case, uh, effectively kept us off the ballot. Now, uh, we are appealing that decision to the Michigan Supreme Court, sorry, to the U.S. Supreme Court, but that won't be in time for this year's election. So uh, the basis of our release is simply that this is a violation of our fundamental right to petition, our core political speech, our First Amendment rights, because the state, after granting these rights, cannot place undue burdens uh, on the exercise of these rights, which clearly asking us to comply with an impossible to comply with policy that the state was actually frustrating our ability to comply with at the same time 
uh, amounts to an undue burden. And we can show that these people are qualified electors in Michigan. So they really have no excuse other than to engage in the serious voter suppression. So we're appealing that to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, there is a separate suit in federal court ongoing by people who signed or circulated our petition and uh, other petitions uh, I, I hear are going to be joining that lawsuit uh, because this doesn't just affect the MI legalized campaign, it affects other ongoing petitions. So in reaction to all of this, the state legislature in Michigan for the first time this year enacted a 180-day strict limit on petitioning and eliminated the rebuttable presumption. So you went from three years, seven months of petition time for Michigan voters down to 180 days. And the effect of that is a pay-to-play system, which we see already uh, largely controlled or utilized by, uh, you know, the political class. And this is where I go back to um, this is uh, primarily in, in Michigan, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, you know, Dick DeVos, his affiliates on the uh, Republican side and organized labor on the on the other side, if you will. So uh, you guys are the labor experts. I'll leave it to you where, where we go from there. But this makes it pretty much impossible for a citizen's grassroots group to do in 180 days. A typical uh, person these days uh, who understands this thinks it takes one to two million dollars just to make the ballot. So that's what's happened here in Michigan, and it, uh, it's affecting us all. And this is just part of this overall pattern from this uh, Snyder regime, shortening the time for recalls of elected officials, tacking appropriations onto bills so they're referendum-proof, um, trying to eliminate straight-ticket voting, and now the suppression of the MI legalized petition. So, you know, you can connect the dots one after another, but this was the final piece of the puzzle of the citizens' check and balance because through the initiative process, we could actually rewrite these laws like the recall law or like Snyder's emergency manager laws or like anything else. And the fear, I believe, that the establishment has of the people doing that is uh, so palpable and so real that, you know, we saw its, its real reaction this year by, by uh, suppressing not only the MI legalized petition, but passing this legislation to limit the rights. So uh, this is the right of every Michigander, and it's under assault. And I've probably been talking way too long, so I'll, I'll open up to you guys. No, no, you're, 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 you're fine, Chuck. Uh, you explained that quite well. Uh, uh, one of the elements that you mentioned that I don't know that everybody fully understands is that here in Michigan, when the legislature attack, attaches an appropriations uh, element to a piece of legislation that cannot be uh, 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 overturned by referendum. Is that not correct? Do you, do you want to explain that a little further? No, that's exactly it. Once uh, an, an appropriation is tacked onto a bill, it's, it becomes referendum proof. So it really just makes the, the exercise of the right futile. And that was not certainly how it was intended to be. And we've, we've seen a series now of these things and this, this, like I said, this petition initiative piece was sort of the final piece because it was the key to actually changing these other, these other issues. And, uh, you know, you look at the recall process now, that has been made so impossible to do. You have so many people who would love to recall Rick Snyder. There are enough people in the state of Michigan, yet you can't find the political will or the ability or the money or the resources or, or the organization 
to actually do it. And the, the, the reality of how these things work, just like with the MI legalized petition and, and, and no one being able to rebut these uh, signatures with clerks over the past 30 years until we came along, we were able to do it. No one else had ever done it. We had figured out a way. It cost us over $100,000 to process the data, but we were prepared. And as we demonstrated that model, um, we saw oil and gas, or whom I believe to be oil and gas interest in the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, get the Republicans in the Michigan Senate to jam this thing through. Uh, lightning speed, then it went over to the House. I testified in the House against this, and they just ignored it. There were actually uh, all Democrats did stand against this. There were six Republicans that also voted against it. But over the course of um, this past year and a half, witnessing this process unfold, you know, I really did come to see that, uh, again, it's not a partisan issue. This is one of those inherent rights that we the people have that should not be partisan. And it is the closest that we have to d direct democracy in the United States. We are not a democracy. That's a misnomer to say that. You know, uh, you, you, you scholars on this show know, you know, we're, we're plausibly anyway a constitutional republic with that democratic mechanisms. So this was one of those democratic mechanisms that was uh, actually fairly strong here in Michigan, and I believe that is why elements of the political class uh, have have conspired to to take it away from us, unfortunately. But the battle continues. We're going to continue to fight this in court. It's bigger than marijuana legalization and the uh, economic and social benefits we think could come from that. It, it is now about everyone's right to vote and to participate and have your voice heard in the process. So uh, this has opened up a political battle now. Uh, Detroit News has reported on it in an article today. Uh, M Live has been reporting over the last few days. It's all over the media and this discussion now that we've been kept off the ballot, which many people realize how egregious that is, have begun to look at this initiative process in general. And uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but but it's it's uh, quite possible that you'll even see a petition in the next year or two to return these petitioning time periods to the people because it is one of our uh, checks and balances that should be there. It was designed and to meant to be utilized by the citizens as a tool. And in fact, there's some real interesting history if you go and read the Constitutional Convention notes of the Michigan Constitution in 1961. Uh, Governor Romney, um, who was uh, Mitt Romney's father, and many other delegates at the time were really strongly um, adamant that this was meant to be a citizen's tool and they were concerned about uh, special interest and, you know, concentration of power, making this only uh, available to themselves through a, through a pay-to-play pay system like we now have. And that's why they gave us this time period. And you can't compare Michigan to other states. Every state that has an initiative process has different time periods, different requirements. Um, we have a, one of the longer time periods, but there's a reason for that because of the thresholds we have and the size of this state. Uh, you know, we've got two vast peninsulas here. And uh, so getting 8% of people who voted in the last election to sign a petition is a lot harder than it sounds. It really means you need about 400,000 signatures. And that's just about what MI Legalized did. We were probably around 375,000, but our, our validity and operation was, was efficient enough that we had the, the valid signatures to get you know, where we need to be. But that's where, uh, that's where things stand today, Leroy. Okay, let me... Uh, uh just do a little bit of an aside. Uh, having been a member since 2009, I'd like to welcome you to the United States Supreme Court Club. 
Jeff, as you've just filed this with the Supreme Court. Uh, this is a very elite group of uh, people who've ever actually gone to the Supreme Court. So welcome to that club. Uh, having said that, Thank this, you. you know, you're welcome. Uh, this is uh, 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 not. I want to I make sure that everybody understands. This is not just about marijuana. This is about your right to vote and your right to have a voice, at least here in Michigan. And it's happening across the country, and we know it. But, it's, you know, we, we happen to have it going on right now here in the state of Michigan. They have made it next to impossible to have a referendum from the people come to the fore. And these referendums could actually change things, like I just brought up to, to Jeff, uh, it's possible that we could uh, change the idea that if they put an appropriations element on a, a bit of legislation, that that would be uh, no longer be referendum proof. These are the kind of things that some people in government don't want us to change. Uh, and I would just like to remind everybody, and we're not all that political, even though this is a political effort that's going on with the uh, ballot initiative here. I want to remind everybody, here in Michigan, the legislation legislator uh, that he's talking about, the legislative uh, entity, we have a bicameral system here. It has a House and a Senate, and then everything has to be signed by the governor, any legislation. All three of those have an R after the majority leader of that or the uh, speaker of the house have an R after their name. And this just got rammed through at, you know, uh, flank speed through all three or all both of the uh, houses of government and signed by the uh, governor to prevent uh, the citizens of Michigan from having a ballot initiative unless they have overwhelming money and support to do something along these lines. And that's sort of summing up what, what uh, Mr. Hank has just said uh, to all of us. Uh, uh, let me, uh, we have someone on the call that's uh, one of our team members, Jeff. I know he's really anxious to talk to you. He actually participated in the recall Snyder, Governor Snyder uh, effort some time ago. David, do you have any comments or questions for Attorney Jeff Hank on this matter? Well, not really questions, but I I understand completely what he's um, laid out for us. Um, it's very difficult anymore to um, recall any elected official, um, school board members. Um, it's it's they've changed. Uh, I believe it was 90 days during the recall Snyder effort, and uh, I think that's been changed to 60 days. And it's very it difficult. They've made it very difficult to um, collect the signatures you need. Um, after uh, the uh, if the party signs within 60 days, after 60 days that party falls off, and uh, it takes a lot of work and hard effort. So you know I understand what you've gone through, and uh, with the AFM law we did uh, collect enough signatures for that um, and uh, then 
that was thwarted as well. Um, pretty much where I'm at. Um, you laid it out pretty much just the way it is. And it's an attempt to take away the voters' rights. And it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be done. I wish you success um, in the future to win this issue. Well, thank you. You know, in the, uh, the next piece of this could be, you know, districting. And I believe that that was one of the reasons uh, this had to be shut down so fast. Because we all know we need that. And if you had more than 180 days to do it, the people could enact a sensible plan. There's enough people that support it. So uh, this isn't over by any means. Uh, as a campaign, am I legalized? We're gonna, you know, we're gonna be announcing our next steps in the near future. But I think that you may see this be a catapult to even greater change because it, it may just be the catalyst that, that brings a lot of people together to get something done. And I, I assure you that we as a campaign, if we are thwarted from being on the ballot, we are not going quietly into the night. We will be back again, and we just may be back with a slate of reforms that we're going we're gonna to launch next spring. But, uh, you know, not to get ahead of, uh, ahead of ourselves here. Um, right. But that's right. it. That's what we're facing uh, in the state of Michigan, a, a, a takeaway of our, our rights across the board. Jeff, we have another uh, co-host on the on the call here this evening. Might have some questions or comments for you, uh, uh, brother uh, Jeff Brown. Do you have any comments or questions for uh, Attorney Jeff Hank in his effort here? No, I support him in his efforts. Um, I do believe in medical marijuana because I have had several family members die of cancer, and I have a couple family members who have MS, and I would really, really like to see medical marijuana uh, in this state, you know, um, to help these people. You know, the pain these people go through, through the chemo treatments and whatever, um, it's a sad thing to see your family members go through all this pain. And I do know medical marijuana does help, and if there's anything I can help uh, Jeff do, I live in the Down River area, uh, south of Detroit. I'll be very happy to help out. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Uh, you know, um, without you know beating us to death any further, I think you've explained this just extraordinarily well for our listening audience and for the co-hosts themselves, who are also. Um, uh, political activists beyond just uh, uh, union leaders here on our show and, and in their own uh, right in their own communities. Uh, uh, I do know that you have quite a strong statewide network, uh, Attorney Jeff Hank. Uh, would you agree that you have a pretty strong network, the statewide, uh, Michigan statewide? I think so. I mean, we... Uh you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but we collected half our signatures by volunteers. So, you know, right. you're talking yeah. um, hundred around 200,000 yeah. signatures that we uh, we did. And, and if you actually look at our campaign, this is some inside baseball stuff, but uh, we petitioned through the winter. Nobody does that. That's nuts. Nobody does it. I wouldn't advise doing it, but we did it <laughs> because we, we were running a real campaign. It doesn't stop. Um, but right. uh, we right. packed most of our petition into actually about a seven-month period. So um, I think we can come back and, and do this again because of the network of people 
which have been really turned on and activated uh, as a result of, of this, actually. And that's where I, I hope this goes, despite the terrible... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be polite with my language, but uh, uh, right. it's some terrible voter suppression. It, it really is. I don't know how you can have the state ignore its own law and at the same time know that enough people, there was the political will to put this just on the ballot for just a vote, just a vote. This wasn't radical here. This was just to give people an opportunity to vote and do something that's being done in several other states um, that would have been very beneficial for the people of the state of Michigan the way it was crafted. It was not crafted by special interest. The money would be going into these public benefits. We all know communities are struggling. We all know we need jobs in Michigan. We all, you know, whether that's green manufacturing with this kind of stuff or farming, um, there are service jobs. There are opportunities to unionize workers as a part of this. In fact, I believe the, uh, oh, I'm going to get this one wrong. Uh, so I shouldn't say which you union. Oh, I believe it was the, the food, uh, the food workers, United, uh, have unionized in other states. So Michigan could have really taken advantage of this. I think we're going to come back and do that again. Um, so yeah. it's, been a, it's been a learning process. And, and by building this statewide network, I think we could actually be part of a bigger social movement to institute some of these changes we, had, we really need in Michigan for, for 2018, 2020. And that probably includes, you know, redistricting and uh, a few other things. I mean, there's a lot of things on everybody's wish, wish list. Right. But the network right. that we have right. is very, very hardcore. They're dedicated people. They're Michigan-based people. And they're ready and in, in looking for the next thing to do now. And so we're going to try our best to keep keep everybody involved and to grow uh, what we started. I mean, we, you know, again, collected over about 375,000 signatures. We have... A huge social social media reach, uh, where you know can put up a post on Facebook and reach 60,000 people. Some days, you know, quite often, um, and we yeah. do that without spending money. Uh, we have done this, and it is a very grassroots kind of oriented thing, no pun intended. Um, and, and there's uh, an amazing amount of people that are looking for just some honesty and, and fairness in government. And, and I would note this that I didn't, I might have not hit on this enough, but we were denied due process by the entire Michigan court system. When you have 354,000 people sign a lawful petition approved by the state and the Michigan court system, which is also dominated by the Republican Party, especially at the high level, at the Supreme Court level, not even give us hundreds of thousands of citizens the dignity of five minutes in front of a judge to talk about this case. And they just ignored half of our case. They just ignored it because they knew that they had to. And that's, uh, you know, we didn't really get into this on this call, but that's what's happening right now in the state of Michigan. That's what's happening in the United States. That's a complete denial of the due process we're entitled to as Americans. And it's a uh, pretty clear reflection on how bad things have actually become when you can't even get the judiciary, which is supposed to be independent, which is supposed to check the legislative and executive branches to re at least give this uh, a fair hearing. So we're in trouble, folks. I mean, it's worse than I thought. Right. I'm an optimist, but it's uh, it's worse than I thought. So it's been an right. education right. lately. I'm sure you guys have seen some of this more of this than I have over the years, but unbelievable. Right. 
Well, you heard it from the horse's mouth, brothers and sisters and listeners. We're in trouble. Uh, having said that, I, I, uh, I'm pretty much aware that you haven't had a lot of institutional help in your effort. Not so much about the marijuana, but subsequently about this ballot initiative challenge uh, that you're facing. Uh, and uh, you heard everyone on this team here this evening, and there's a lot more team members uh, in the leadership ranks of this team that are not on this call that support what you're doing. And we aspire to change that come 2018 to give uh, efforts like yourself and the effort that you're putting forth give you support to that end. Uh, I know there's going to be more. Having said all of that, uh, you know, I, I know you, you admitted to having a pretty large organization statewide here. I'm going to ask you this question and put you on the spot, Jeff. Is there any rumor to the idea that you might run for governor in 2018? <laughs> oh, man, that's a funny rumor, and uh, I don't mind stoking it a little bit, but it's not. I'm probably not the right person for the job. I'm probably not. not yeah, I don't think I'm qualified. Uh, the only thing uh, I would say is that uh, that probably scares the heck out of a lot of people <laughs> because I do toy well. around with the idea. Um, you know, we need some change. We have to have some change. We need people that are willing to lead change. I don't profess to have all the answers, but we certainly need some uh, somebody running for governor who isn't afraid to take on some of these issues. I mean, we just need it, we, we, but it's got to be bigger than governor. You know, it's got to really be the people overall have right. to be motivated and inspired to be taking part in this system and not dependent on someone else to come in and save them either. That's one of the, one of the other problems I think we have. Um, everybody just expects someone's going to do it. You know, well, no, this is, this is real. You know, democracy is real. You've got to participate. And so if I thought I could make a difference, if I thought I could do that um, and that it would be worthwhile, uh, I, would, I would consider it, Leroy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have the financial resources, you know, personally or anything uh, to launch that. But I think people are looking for a change. And, um, you know, we'll see. You never know where the future is going to take us. I, at this point, you know, still going to focus on getting this initiative on the ballot and seeing this litig litigation process through because it could still be on a future ballot. Um, and then we're going to start looking seriously uh, at, uh, if not, coming back in the spring with another petition along with uh, redistricting and, and, and maybe a few other things. I mean, that's something that right. I encourage all of you to start thinking about and talking about because we all know there's a few things probably that can be done. And uh, having even unaffiliated uh, initiative drives in the field at the same time could make it a little bit easier for everyone. And, and I'd like to think there's a few good governance things that we could all agree to uh, in Michigan. And, and I hope that whoever's running for the democratic party uh, in 18 is going to really back those things and not be afraid to, to take some strong positions. So, um, you know, I probably got to uh, worry worry now that you're, you're saying this on uh, public radio, Leroy. But uh, <laughs> Rick Schneider's listening to this, and he's freaked out. Bill Shooting's freaked out. and listening to this right now. Well, they're, they're, so we'll they're freaked out at our show every weekend, Jeff. <laughs> every Sunday night they listen to us and they freak out because we're coming. We are coming. Change is on the way. Well, again, uh, there's a lot of work to be done between now and then, you know, and, and a little – uh, and jocular aside there we're having a little fun with, with who, what you might do in, in a couple of years from now but 
you never know. Things uh, things could change between now and then dramatically. Uh, you know, 20 months uh, is an eternity. Uh, we have two two years in uh, two months uh, for that election. So 26 months is an eternity uh, in politics. So, uh, but you heard it here from a well-educated professional. This is democracy, and you have to participate. Okay, that that came out of his mouth. This is important. Uh, if, unless there's anything else from the other two co-hosts here this evening, I would like to thank you so very much from the bottom of our hearts here on Team Working for a Living for coming on the show this evening and uh, uh, making enlightening, enlightening everyone to what's uh, going on uh, with your ballot proposal challenge and that it's at the Supreme Court of the United States level uh, and we appreciate you telling all of us about that. The listeners must have just uh, jumped off the chain uh, listening to this this evening because this is this affects Michigan, but it's it's coming to a state near you if you haven't figured it out. Uh, Michigan leads the way in a lot of political effort, uh, and uh, it's coming your way. Uh, so be aware in your other states. Uh, be aware here in Michigan that this is going on, and lend as much support to Jeff, Attorney Jeffrey Hank, as you see him in the press. You know, write in, call in to these shows, to the papers, and support him in your uh, in his efforts and with your vote at the ballot box. So, thank you, Jeff, for coming on the show tonight. Unless you have anything else, uh, we're Thanks. we're happy Thanks. to move with the show. Thanks, Leroy. Okay. I just would note one thing, uh, just so the listeners are clear. We haven't filed the uh, petition for writ of certiorari with the United States Supreme Court yet. We still have about 80 days before we have to do that, although we uh, don't expect to take that long. It will be filed. Um, there is a chance that the federal this federal lawsuit uh, could change that if they were to order the state to uh, count our signatures. Uh, that would probably alleviate the need for United States Supreme Court appeal. But that will all be played out over the next couple of weeks. We'll make sure to keep you updated. And really appreciate you guys uh, having me on to, yeah. to sit here and chat with you. So yeah. have a good rest of the show. Yeah. Thanks, Leroy. Oh. Thanks, everybody. Sure. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. And, and come, back, come back to update us when you feel it's necessary, Jeff. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Well, there you have it, uh, David and Jeff. Pretty dynamic speaker, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot, of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. Go ahead, David. One thing I'd like to say is that um, he spoke of that being a grassroots effort. Um, you have to have a lot of appreciation for those people who participated. Um, it takes a lot of effort and um, to put yourself out there to collect these signatures. Um, it's a lot of work. And uh, um, those people deserve a lot of respect for what they did because the amount of signatures they they collected, that's huge. Really is huge. Absolutely. Again, we thank him for coming on and and enlightening us, and we look forward to updates from him. But this was a huge effort by a lot of people, David. Yeah. Yeah. Um, During the Recall Snyder effort, um, we encountered... Um, a lot of flack from a lot of people. Um, 
I believe that summer I saw more middle fingers than I've ever saw in my life. <laughs> so I'm not offended by being flipped <laughs> off anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I completely yeah, understand the process. Tough work. Tough work. Thank you for everything you did and continue to do for the benefit of our our state. So you tried to prevent a lot of these things from happening, David, and here they are, full right in our face. You know, we hired a, uh, a Fortune 500 CEO as governor. We voted for men, and we're getting a Fortune 500 working over since he's been there. So, uh, one, you know, one thing I would sad. like to say, um, Governor Schuette, he fancies himself as the governor of the state. Um, that's Attorney what General. I be told. Yeah, he, well, he, he would like to be the governor is what I'm understanding. Um, it was my understanding that marijuana in Michigan is a $650 billion industry. No taxes paid collected. Um, in essence, he's promoting um, back alley deals. Um, where no tax is being collected, and all the things that uh, Mr. Hanks spoke of, that those taxes will benefit, we very much need that money for our schools, our infrastructure, and uh, the other things that the tax money would would be used for, even possibly to roll back the uh, pension tax on retirees. Just think about it. Wouldn't that be nice, yeah. Would not be yeah. yeah. Jeff, anything uh, else on this matter? No, everything's been said. Um, I'm all for it. Like okay. I said, I would like and to support as much as I can. Well, you, you heard me commit, him, commit to him. When we assume mm-hmm. leadership in the UAW, we will commit to uh, supporting efforts as Jeff Hank brings forward that makes sense, like this one, and others that may bring uh, uh, issues forward that make sense. We intend to support them. We did not support, as, a, as an organization, the UAW, the recall Snyder effort. Um, I understand the, the, the uh, thoughts behind that, but we're certainly paying a lot of, of uh, dues for not having uh, you know, dues in the sense of a lot of pain for not having supported that. We've come up with right to work, the ballot initiatives that have been, you know, now constricted beyond the pale. You may never see another one unless it's just by large organizations such as the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, the oil and gas industry, or uh, even one of the labor uh, entities that have the will and the, the uh, membership and the money to do this. Uh, so we we really uh, do need to stand behind people like uh, Jeff Hank when they bring these, uh, Attorney Jeff Hank when they bring these uh, issues forward. So we, we really appreciate what he's, uh, what he's doing. Uh, moving forward, um, uh, David, uh, I believe you have something that you want to update us on, on Unifor the uh, Canadian yeah. Nationwide Union, and they have their uh, auto worker department. That, uh, you want to update us on that, please? Yeah. Um, 
First, I'd like to give you a little bit of history. Um, well, here we go. Um, what's known as the Automotive Innovation Fund um, was introduced in uh, Canada, 2008. Um, the Innovation Fund here and after are referred to as the AIF. Um, it was provided $250 million over five years to support automotive firms' strategic large-scale research development um, projects to build innovative, greener, more efficient um, fuel-efficient vehicles. Um, then on uh, January 4th of 13, the Prime Minister um, announced the uh, renewal of the AIF and an additional $250 million over the next five years. And then on February 11th of 14, the government of Canada announced another additional $500 million um, over two years. And uh, that would have been 14 through 16. Um, the, automa the Automotive Innovation Fund to support significant strategic research and development projects, long-term investments in Canada and the automotive sector. Um, this was all implemented under um, Stephen Harper, the conservative um, prime minister at the time. Um, then uh, some of the uh, things that uh, the uh, fund would uh, provide loans to. Um, these were loans, not uh, in the form of grants. Um, they would uh, be um, knowledge, R&D-based knowledge in Canada, the government's strategic environmental agenda, the development of innovative fuel-efficient technologies or processes, the long-term economic benefit to Canada, including significant job creation and retention, and the potential to affect further investments to foster competitiveness in Canada. Um, then um, also um, new product development, advanced admission technologies, energy efficient engines and transmissions, advanced materials including engineered plastics, lightweight components and materials, leading-edge engineering design and prototype development, advanced testing and that ensures cleaner, more efficient automotive performance and reduces greenhouse gases, the development of new products, production methods, and process technologies, including advanced flexible manufacturing techniques, nor expanded facilities to produce leading-edge and more energy-efficient vehicles and powertrains, substantial investments in new flexible manufacturing processes and introduction of other new transformative production technologies to substantially increase productivity and efficiency, e.g. robotics and advanced IT systems. Um, this week, um, I believe it was on the 17th, um, the Detroit Free Press um, Put out an article. It was written by Brett Snavely. Um, we're seeing here that uh, the uh, Canadian government is um, looking at this um, 
innovation fund and um, considering making changes to it um, so that uh, they wouldn't uh, be offering loans anymore to uh, these automotive companies. They would be in the form of grant money. Um, today's um, and today, you you know, low interest loans aren't something the auto industry is looking for. But in you know, in the form of grant money, um, that's a big difference. And uh, this is all being um, done under the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of the Liberal Party, and he has a far more open and broader support of the auto industry than Harper ever did under the Conservative Party. So hopefully that uh, is um, something that um, Diaz will be able to use as a bargaining tool, making them more competitive and uh, helping them to secure investment in Canada. So I wish him well with that, and kudos to the government for helping him um, along the way. So that is about the gist of that, some history, and uh, what's going on this week with that. Okay. Uh, David, thank you very much for that report. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything to add to that? Comments? Uh, no, I don't. Are you right? Okay. All right. I I would just, you know, add that we really appreciate the government of Canada trying to help our brothers and sisters there in, in uh, Canada and the uh, uh, automotive department of Unifor. Uh, we know that uh, our own president is Dennis Williams of the UAW has offered some support, but he's limited. Uh, there's uh, some uh, amazing uh, limitations based on the contract that he just forwarded. Those you can find on the page, uh, uh, the, the, the post by David Fillion, uh, about Williams uh, supporting the uh, auto uh, workers of Canada, but there's all of the whole list of things that he's limited by. You have to join Working for a Living uh, on Facebook. Uh, if you ask, you most uh, always we we certainly let you come on in, uh, and uh, you can see that full list that's in the contract that's been posted there. Uh, David's uh, gone out and posted all those limitations. So uh, notwithstanding the government of Canada is helping uh, and notwithstanding the good intentions after we covered it last week on this show, uh, Dennis Williams really, uh, the president of the UAW, really can't do much to support him unless he just arm twists uh, the leadership and send a little money over there should they go on strike, uh, you know, to try and help. Uh, sustain those families uh, of the working men and women there. So uh, that's that's really sad that we have got that many limitations in our agreement. Uh, they manifest a number of them. It's just sad. And you know, I go through and read them all, but just really there's not time because it's a page and a half of just little things that he cannot do and support of our brothers and sisters in Canada. That's just sad. Now, having said that, you know, we support you here on Working for a Living uh, as a team. So 
Thank you again for that report, David. Okay. Um, Can I add something to that, uh, Leroy? Sure. Um, I want uh, our Canadian brothers and sisters to know that uh, they're all welcome to join our page at Work for 11. Um, You're welcome there. And uh, all you have to do is ask to come in, and we'll bring you in. Thank you, David. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we, we try to get that word out to, uh, to other, other folks. Uh, as our show gets published, we try to get it published over there as well. We are uh, syndicated clear over in Norway now, so, uh, and I know they're listening to us in Canada as well. So thank you, listeners, in the other parts of the world. We really appreciate it. Uh, so uh, moving on, uh, my report this evening is about a recent National Labor Relations Board ruling uh, last week about graduate assistance in private universities and colleges. Um, so that you know, uh, this is not about football players or baseball players at the college level. It has nothing to do with anything to do with a, uh, an athlete, although some of these folks may be athletes, but most of them have... Uh, 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 gone beyond their uh, college eligibility uh, of the four years, I believe five years that they actually have a college eligibility. But uh, whatever that is, uh, it's limited. And typically when they're in a master's program, they're uh, well beyond the athletic uh, uh, eligibility time. So master's or PhD. Uh, what a college or a graduate assistant is, is somebody that works with a tenured professor at a university in the field of study that they're trying to attain either a master's or a Ph.D. Uh, advanced degree. Uh, they do this either as a research assistant or a teaching assistant. Uh, and we cover those folks in public universities across the nation. Uh, I believe... One of our largest ones that we, the UAW actually represents a lot of these graduate assistants. The largest contingent is at the University of California. I think there's 15 campuses and like 15,000 people there. I might have that uh, campus, might actually be 20, uh, but I think there's 15,000 members at that uh, University of California across the different campuses that they have. I believe the other one that we larger one that we represents Columbia in New York. Uh, so there's over 20,000 graduate assistants that we already represent. This new National Labor Relations Board ruling opens it up for private universities and says they are indeed uh, employees. And, uh, you know, they get paid. Uh, in a lot of cases, they're getting paid less than minimum wage for the 70 or 80 hours a week that, you, that they're working. Uh, and they, you know, a lot of these young people have families. And as you see on the uh, scroll on the slideshow, if you're watching the slideshow, uh, listening to the podcast or live, uh, you'll see one of the, the slides there. It says, you know, the graduate assistance wages affect me to little child on somebody's shoulder. So, this is, this is those, you know, 
farther than just the workers themselves, but these students. And quite frankly, in a bigger sense, when we ask for higher wages, better working conditions and hours of employment for our members and for the general population at large, it doesn't just affect that worker. It affects their family, their spouse, their children, their parents, their grandchildren. So we need to keep that in mind when we're thinking about when we represent our members. It's not just our members. It's their family and their life that they have together and in the community. It's important to have that life. So these graduate assistants then um, are, are now uh, um, considered employees by the National Labor Relations Board and organizations such as our wonderful UAW can go out and attempt to solicit them as a bargaining unit in a local union that we would represent. I, uh, I hope that that becomes more desirable as the leadership of this great organization gets changed because right now people aren't waiting in line to join our union. That's sad. In days gone by, they were beaten down the, the doors. There's a few people say, hey, can you get me in? And once they get in there, they go, what the heck is this? What the heck happened to this union? So, yeah, it's management's fault. But let me tell you something. As you live your life, people treat you as you allow them to treat you. And as this union lives its life, corporations treat our union as we allow them to treat our union. It's going to change 21 months. The treatment of this union is going to change dramatically. This union. And we hope to lead the way for other unions. So uh, we hope that we are able to uh, organize the now uh, employees of the private universities and colleges into the UAW. They are an amazing group. We already represent over 20,000, and we'd like to have more. We appreciate every member out there, and we invite them to join the UAW as soon as they possibly have the opportunity. And I can't imagine why we don't even have, why we wouldn't have uh, mounted an organizational team to go visit them already. But we'll see what that, how long that takes. And we're watching. So, but having said that, that's my my report. Uh, David or Jeff? Let's go with Jeff this time. Jeff, you got any comments on that? No, I support it 100%. We are going to continue to grow and gain more power as time goes on. Right. Exactly. Well, thank you, Jeff. Uh, David, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I do. Um, thank you. It's been a while back now, um, maybe a year and a half ago, um, I had some conversation with some UAW members at 2865 um, in an open thread. Um I was talking to them about our national convention and delegates um, to our convention. 
and uh, they were opposed to participating. Um, I don't know if that encompasses all of the um, members of uh, their local, um, but uh, their objection to participating in um, our, um, our constitutional convention was that they saw it wholly as an undemocratic process and uh, that they weren't going to be sending any delegates to it. Um, I would hope that they would reconsider that um, because um, we need them there. If we want to change, um, we want change in our union, um, we need their help as well. Um, So I hope they will change their position on that and join us at the convention so that we can make those changes happen because we need their voice and vote. And uh, right now that's through the delegate process. That's what might change in the future to a direct vote of the members. It's possible, but without participation, it's hard to achieve. So um, that's all I have to say on that matter, Leroy. Okay, thank you, David. Yes, indeed, we we invite everybody to participate in in uh, the process of electing a new leadership team at the international executive board level. Um, that cannot occur if people are sitting on their hands. Uh, people that might feel that it's not democratic. It's true that it. Uh, it lost the last vestiges of being democratic the way they uh, presented it last year when they had so many people uh, opposing the dues increase uh, and other things. Uh, so we look forward to having a more democratic process. We look forward to having free, fair, and open elections. Uh, and uh, that's uh, going to occur this time coming up as best we know how. Uh, so, uh, And we're building a team to do just exactly that. So, uh, well, let's see. Go ahead, David. Hopefully the next delegates to the uh, National Convention won't bring their uh, frog clickers with them. That most definitely sends a message to... Um, everybody out there that maybe we're not democratic. Um, that was a disgrace. Correct. And uh, disgrace. for every party who participated in that, you should be ashamed of yourselves, all of you. Every one of you. The only thing that a chair of a committee or a convention or any group, their only true responsibility is to maintain order. And when that order broke down because of those clickers, that fell squarely on the shoulders of the chair of the convention at that time being Bob King, the outgoing president of the International UAW. And shame on you, brother, for allowing that to occur. That's simply wrong. And people say, well, you're you're blaming the union. Well, that management doesn't have anything to do with that one, brothers and sisters. Not one bit. And they own it all. Yeah. 
And I see Brother Brown just posted something, reposted it, said, you can't fix a broken system by voting to keep the same system. It needs to change. It needs to change, brothers and sisters. Uh, we have some breaking news that I should uh, uh, update everybody on. Uh, this is kind of sad in the sense that it's happened. Uh, today uh, in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, a man stabbed eight people uh, in the mall there, in, the in that Minnesota mall. Uh, ISIS just claimed responsibility for that, just so everybody knows. ISIS took responsibility for that, according to this latest Epoch Times article. So just be aware of your surroundings uh, this week coming up. And uh, as you move through the communities, uh, be aware and, and uh, be protected. So this, this is this is stuff that's starting to happen in our own country now. So um, I'm appraised of some other things that are going on that the mainstream media has not reported in New York City and in, uh, well, obviously the Minnesota's been reported on, but in New Jersey as well. Uh, and I, I can't report on those publicly without uh, the mainstream media uh, reporting it, but it's not good. Uh, and we don't know if ISIS has taken responsibility for, for those. Just, just know that there's been at least three other incidents uh, without going into any detail. Uh, having said that, uh, uh, let me just start to wrap up the show. I, uh, as far as an appeal update, I think Arts Peterson appeal is uh, not needing an update right now. I uh, didn't speak with him uh, the last couple of days, but he seems to be uh, okay with everything that's moving forward with that. It's at the Public Review Board. Uh, the other appeal is still being uh, the answer to the last version of that's being still being written. Uh, we'll have that in in a timely fashion. Uh, other than that, that's the update for the two appeals. Uh, those are the Ford uh, election appeal for um, uh, ethics uh, violation and the uh, General Motors appeal where they allowed uh, uh, more than the participants in the pension plan to vote. In other words, people that are not a part of that pension plan were allowed to vote. Uh, so that's uh, sort of uh, against the rules, so to speak. Every time you tell somebody, they really raise an eyebrow. What? They did what? They allowed what? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of going on. So, Jeff, do you have anything else to add this evening at all? Uh, no, I don't. You're right. Okay. Thanks for that post. I was happy to see that, you know, report on it. Appreciate it. Thank you for being back here tonight, and I'm glad Diane's keep an eye on you. <laughs> Somebody's got to. <laughs> yeah. Okay, brother. And welcome back. It's nice to have you back on the show. You really had a lot of stuff we really appreciate. So, David, anything else? No. Just glad to have Jeff back and that he's feeling better. Um, he's a asset to the show, and I miss him when he's not here. And uh, yeah, maybe Diane well. out there keep him uh, um, in good spirits and uh, be back next week and uh, yep. we continue on. 
We continue on. Yes, sir. Uh, okay. With with that, I don't have any other closing remarks myself, other than um, you know, remember that our email address is working for a living at workingforaliving dot com. Uh, you can follow us on Blog Talk Radio. You get a notice every week when the show comes on. Well, of course, look at your Facebook groups, and we posted most of the UAW groups out there as well. Uh, not not all, but most. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're still waiting for approval on iTunes. I sent a message in to them recently. Hopefully we'll get, get approval there. They've been reviewing us for a while, so our consistency and good reporting should show, show through there. Um, uh, we're, we're getting a little long, so I'll just say thank you to all of the listeners across the nation, all our UAW uh, uh, cities where we have a, a large presence. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you across the, the world, Mexico and Canada. Good luck to our brothers and sisters in Canada. Please, everybody, this is a time of challenge in our country now. It's starting to become more so uh, with what I just reported. Please, everybody, stay safe this week, coming week, and upcoming weekend. Uh, uh, with having said that, I'll say go green. And uh, uh, good night, David and Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff Hanks. Jeff Hank. Good night. Good night. Good night, guys.